0: You're listening to Our Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhalayn and al hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhalayn.org support. The next chapter that we will examine in the life of the Prophet is a very important chapter and we come to a very very sensitive and important part in the life of the Prophet and that's the battles and the wars that were waged against him. The first major battle that we will discuss is bed but there are several events that happened before bed and some important points to discuss over here before we examine the Battle of Badr. In order to understand how those battles started, especially the Battle of Badr, and in order for us to know whether it was a defensive battle, was it a preemptive strike, was was it an offensive battle as some orientalists claim, it's important to keep a number of points in mind. First of all, Meccans had persecuted the Muslims. They confiscated their property. They took their money. They killed a number of them. So they owed Muslims a lot of money. They took their land, their property, their money, their livelihood. The money that they had at home. This was all confiscated by the Meccans. They were thieves. So they owed the Muslims a lot of money. Secondly, the Meccans upon realizing the strength of the Medina community under the leadership of the Prophet, they saw now the Prophet as a threat. He's gaining strength. So they imposed a blockade and a boycott on the Prophet ﷺ. Anybody who wants to come from Mecca to see the Prophet, they would cut their path. They would not let them go see the Prophet. If there were big caravans that wanted to come to Medina, to do business with those Muslims, they would try to cut them off. So they imposed an embargo on the Muslim community and they felt arrogant and invincible. They're like, these Medina Muslims, who are they? We outnumber them, we've got the power, we've got the might, they don't even, they have one horse. Just imagine in all of Medina with their, with you know, those Ansar and uh, the uh, muhajirin they had one horse. We have hundreds of horses, they're no match for us. So their arrogance pushed them to impose impose an embargo on the residents of Medina. The Prophet had to do something. What do you do? These Muhajirin, the migrants lost their property. You have to fight for justice. Secondly, the Meccans are planning to attack. They're weakening your community. The Prophet ﷺ had to do something. He couldn't just sit there and do nothing when the enemy was planning. So it was expected that there would be battles and skirmishes. It was very, very expected. Now, some narrations indicate there were a total of 93 battles and confrontations during the life of the Prophet. ﷺ. Now, the battles in which the Prophet, he himself was present, these are called Ghazwa, you hear that, Ghazwat Badr for example. When you hear the word Ghazwa, that means the Prophet was there. Then we also have something called Sariyah. Sariyah is an expedition that the Prophet would dispatch but he himself would not be present. So in total there were 27 Ghazwas in which the Prophet he himself participated in and 66 Sariyas or expeditions. So a total of about 93 now in those early days of Medina when the Mushrikeen started mobilizing their forces and they started to impose impose that blockade on the Muslims, the Prophet started to mobilize Muslims for war, get ready for war and war was an obligation. Defending the Muslim community was an obligation on Muslims and in the Constitution of Medina, the Prophet makes it very clear that as a citizen of Medina, you Muslims, you have the obligation to defend the community in Medina if anyone comes to attack us. So it was a moral religious obligation for the Muslims to defend their city in case there was a war. They were defending their citizens, their land, their values, God's final religion. They were defending humanity from the immorality of the Meccans. So they really had every reason to go and fight. Now, I would like to mention something very critical here. A lot of times, you find non-Muslims making a comparison between Islam and Christianity. Islam believes in holy war. The Prophet went and participated in so many battles and there's so much violence in the Quran. The Prophet is mobilizing the Muslims to fight. Whereas Jesus was the Prophet of peace or the symbol of peace and he never fought, he never took a sword in his hand. Whereas the Prophet, when he found the opportunity, he did take a sword in his hand. And they always make that comparison. So this is something that must be addressed. First of all, before we look at the Qur'an and the verses of war and violence, look at previous scriptures, look at the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about previous nations and prophets? Professor Jenkins, uh, a well-known historian in one of the US universities, he makes a comparison between the Bible and the Qur'an. He's not Muslim, you know what he says? I would like to read the exact quote. This was on NPR. He says, by the standards of the time, which is 7th century AD, the laws of war that are laid down by the Quran are actually reasonably humane. Then we turn to the Bible and we actually find something that is for many people a real surprise. There is a specific kind of warfare laid down in the Bible, which we can only call genocide. It is called Haram, and it means total annihilation. He gives an example in the book of 1 Samuel, when God instructs King Saul to attack the Amalekites, the Amalekah in Arabic, they were a group, a village. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la supposedly in the Bible, in the Old Testament, instructs King Saul to attack the Amalekites. You know what the Bible says? I'll read for you the exact verse of the Bible. And utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now when Saul fails to do that, God takes away his kingdom as punishment. Allah says, you didn't do what I asked you? Here, let me take the you know, uh, kingdom from you. In fact, the Bible also states that when God saves the Israelis, the Bani Israel from the Pharaoh, he gives them the promised land in Palestine, which is called Canaan. Historically, Palestine was called Canaan. You know what the Bible says? God instructed the Jews to annihilate the inhabitants of Palestine. Whoever was living there, drive them out, kill them, and just occupy their lands. This is in which book? In the Bible. And they accuse the Quran of being a book of violence. This is very important to keep in mind as we consider the verses of war in the Holy Quran. So the point is, we're not saying that the Bible is violent or bad. The point is, don't come and lecture us and say your Quran has talks about some verses of war. Yes, there were battles, there were wars. You have to understand the context. Why did those wars happen? What transpired before those wars? But for you to come and lecture us, your Qur'an has a few verses in Surah Al-Anfar, Surah Al-Tawbah, go fight the Mushrikeen, that's unfair. If you want to lecture us, start with your own Bible and look at the verses of war in the Bible. Now, by the way, all of those people who were killed in all the battles that the Prophet participated in. You know, we talked about these 93 Ghazwas and sariyas during the time of the Prophet. How many people do you think were killed from both sides, Muslims and Mushriks, in those 10 years? 8,000, mm-hmm. eight that's it. We're talking about eight, 93 battles and expeditions. Any other guesses? 10, 15,000 historians give us three figures the biggest figure the most liberal figure is thousand four hundred that's the highest figure from both sides the mushriks and the Muslims see the way they frame it 93 battles it's as if millions of people died right this is not World War II in which European countries got involved in the destruction of 50 million lives. That's not something the Prophet did, that's something Europe did in one war, right? Yes, there were 93 battles and skirmishes. However, the highest figure is 1,400. Most scholars believe 700 people were killed and the most conservative estimate even by some non-Muslims is 300. And by the way, what you hear about the, you know, Jews of Beni Qurayza having 900 men being slaughtered in one day, that's a myth. We'll examine that once we get to that. 40 were killed and we'll examine how they were killed and why they were killed. So we have 300, we have 700, we have 1,400. Let's take the middle ground and say 700. 700, see he's Nabi Ar-Rahmah. He's defending the final religion of God. He's defending the early community. But the Prophet did the miraculous, what no one could do, by lowering the casualties as much as possible. It's really a miracle to only have 700 casualties in 90 battles. That's a miracle. No one could pull that off. Had it been anybody else, you would have seen tens of thousands of casualties. But this is Nabi Ar-Rahmah, he tried to avoid war, you know, at all costs. Now the Prophet sallallahu before any of these battles or wars, the Prophet would make it very clear to them the rules of engagement. See Islam is a religion that's based on justice, just because we're at war with a group doesn't mean we could do whatever we want, it's a humane religion. It believes in avoiding war unless it's absolutely necessary to protect your land and to protect religion. So the Prophet would give the following advice to the fighters. I would like to share with you some examples. Every time the Prophet would go to war, he would tell his companions, make sure you observe these. Number one, he would tell them bismillah, wa wa ala millati Go in the name of Allah on the path of the Prophet, in the way of the Prophet, for the sake of Allah. Basically what the Prophet was telling them, look, we're not fighting for personal grudges or vendettas, right? This is for the sake of Allah. Always keep Allah in mind. The reason we're fighting them is to protect the faith of Allah, the religion of Allah. Not because they persecute us, persecuted us, not because they drove us out, out you know, from our lands. Yes, you do have the right to fight them for that, but the main reason... Is for Allah. See how He's instilling sincerity and piety in their hearts. Don't have a worldly incentive, basically. It's for the sake of Allah. Number two, وَلَى وَلَى never use fraud or deception, even with your enemies. When it comes to your enemies, even on the battleground, never use deception. This is something the Prophet outlawed. Number three, do not mutil- mut- mutilate bodies. At the time it was customary, in 7th century Arabia, the minute you kill your enemy, you cut him into pieces. The Prophet says this is outlawed. You kill somebody, leave them. Don't cut them into pieces. Don't mutilate their bodies. Number four, do not kill an old man who is very old. This is prohibited. Do not kill a child. Do not kill a woman. These are the rules of engagement in Islamic law. Number seven, Do not cut trees unless you really have to. See, even the trees had rights. The Prophet said, when you go to a village or a place, don't cut their trees or destroy their vegetation. You have no right. The Prophet tells them to protect the environment. Don't destroy their villages and vegetation. Don't kill their animals. Do not poison their wells. Because these are things that they would do. Then the Prophet says, if they listen to you, if they submit, if they obey and they say, we regret that, we don't want to fight you anymore and they surrender, don't kill them. Now at the time, if someone surrenders in battle, what happens? They get killed, right? But the Prophet said, no. Any person, any mushrik who comes and he says, you know what? I repent, I believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm not going to fight you. Give them safety, give them security. You have no right to kill them. Even if you have reason to believe he's just faking that to save his life, as long as he's saying, that's it, I submit, then you don't fight them. See how humane the Prophet ﷺ would treat their, how humanely he would treat his enemies. And these are the rules of engagement. Now this, by the way, imposed a lot of restrictions on the Muslims. It put them at a disadvantage because their enemies would not go by this. They would use fraud, deception, they would conspire, commit treason. They could kill a woman as they did and sometimes they would kill. If they had the chance to kill a child, they would. But the Prophet put all of these restrictions for the Muslims to show that Islam is not about fighting.